when we live by our to-do lists, we're really doing ourselves a disservice. It's much better to look at your to-do list and think about, well, what do I have the energy to do right now? And then you can actually start to see patterns in that where maybe in your mornings you have more energy. And so you, you do the things then that, that are going to require more energy. Or maybe in your evenings or on your weekends, you're maybe you're out of energy at a certain time. And that's a time when you can do the things that are a little more mindless, that are a little more, you know, folding laundry or something like that. And you can change when you do things based upon the energy that you have. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the Kamari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified Kamari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. One thing I know for sure is we are collectively revisiting the way we work these days. Whether you've increased the amount of time you're working from home or relocated your office to the middle of your dining room table, our guest today will help you make sure you still love your work. David Cadavy is a writer who helps creatives get more out of their energy. He's author of two books, The Heart to Start and Design for Hackers, and he's the host of Love Your Work podcast. His third book, Mind Management, Not Time Management, debuts in the fall of 2020. Welcome to Spark Joy, David. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. So, David, I was contemplating where to begin today because you've had a very interesting journey when it comes to figuring out where to work and where to live and really how to just design your best life. So I figured that we probably should start in Chicago. You're in Columbia now, but we have a mutual friend here in Chicago, Saya Hillman, who was featured on episode 54 of Spark Joy and episode four of your podcast, Love Your Work, which is how I originally found you, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. So take us back 10 years to the moment that you were living in Chicago, but decided it was time to make a change. Well, about 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago exactly was when I got my first book deal to write that book designed for hackers that was mentioned. And that was a really difficult process because I had never really considered myself a writer before that. I actually hated writing as a kid. I'm not one of these people who just grew up wanting to write. And I ended up getting a book deal. And I suffered my way through writing that book. It was agonizing. It was difficult. And fast forward a few years, I was starting to write more. And I was in Chicago in my apartment. And I was trying to write an article. I was having a very difficult time. And I went to go fetch one of my old articles that I wanted to link to. And, um, you know, this sounds kind of self-obsessive, but as a writer, you can't stand to read most of what you write. But when you do write something that's good, you like want to keep reading it. And so I was kind of stuck there reading my own article and like, oh, wow, this is pretty good. <laughs> and I was kind of thinking like, well, what? Well, why can't I write like this today? And then I, I later on in the same week, it happened again. And then I was really reflecting on, well, wh where did this best work of mine happen? And it seemed like it was all happening in Medellin, Colombia. So I had spent a couple of winters in Colombia 
for a couple months at a time. And, uh, you know, I was just escaping the Chicago winter, which is nice to do. But I eventually realized, like, well, I'm just doing better work when I'm in Colombia. So I decided I needed to figure out how to do that. And that started, you know, this journey of four years ago when I actually sold everything and moved down here of really trying to kind of redesign my life so that I was making creative energy my central focus of like how to maintain that energy and how to manage it and how to get the output that I wanted as a writer and just redesigning my life entirely to do that. So then four years ago in 2016, you actually sold all of your possessions and moved from the United States to Columbia. So it became more than just a visit during the cold months in Chicago. Tell us about how that ties in with the power of letting go and what was that process like for you and what did it make room for in your new life in Columbia? It is such a great observation, an astute observation by you to to notice that that process happened and that had a lot to do with letting go. And uh, yeah, so four years ago, I moved down to Columbia in the process I sold everything down to where I had like three suitcases worth of stuff. One of those suitcases was full of books. And that was an emotional process to say the least, getting rid of, you know, decades worth of things and whittling it down that way. You know, I had a lot of help from the things I had read. To this day, I still have dreams where there's like a suitcase and there's stuff and there's only so much stuff I can put in the suitcase. And there's like a plane that's leaving like in 15 minutes. Like, so it's a difficult process. You know, I still have dreams about stuff that I got rid of. And I had digitized a lot of things as well. And I think that, you know, it's not easy. For some people it is, maybe. But the thing I kept telling myself was about loss aversion. So I've studied behavioral science a little bit. I've worked with a behavioral scientist, Dan Ariely, on a productivity app at one point. And so I'm really interested in kind of the biases that we have that shape our thinking. And one of those is loss aversion, is that it hurts twice as much for us to get rid of something as it does feel good for us to get something. You know, so as you're throwing out things, it hurts to do that, but you're creating space for some future thing that you can gain. And it's especially hard because you don't know what that thing is yeah. until you do create that space. And so, yeah, it was a very difficult process, but that was one of the things that I told myself was just that, okay, this hurts to do, to throw these things out in a lot of cases, but I'm creating a space for some future thing. You know, it's kind of like to prepare for this conversation you had in your notes to restart your computer. You restart your computer and maybe there's little files or applications that are running that you don't need anymore, that you're just resetting all of that. And once your computer starts back up, it just runs a little bit better than it did before. And I think that life can be that way, where you just kind of have to hit the reset button sometimes. And uh, now, four years later, I lived in a, a furnished apartment for four years. So that way, I didn't have to worry about any of my furniture, any of my stuff. And now, I'm just got my first unfurnished apartment down here in Colombia. And I'm again in that process of getting stuff. You know, that's frightening too, to get things and to to think about how they might take up mental space 
and how one day you might have to get rid of them and, and how that might be difficult as well. Yeah, it's all about managing the things and, and aligning them with what you're trying to accomplish. And you mentioned you you really were inspired by the creativity that seemed to be calling you from Colombia. And I'm really curious about how you work, because I imagine we work anywhere or you feel like you, you can, you have that freedom, that flexibility that everybody longs for. I mean, the grass is always greener, right? Uh, because now more people than ever have that same opportunity to work exclusively from home or, or to work from a remote location, safely social distancing. So I'm curious, like, how did you make that transition in terms of like working in Chicago versus working in Colombia? And do you have any tips for the type of lifestyle that you've created, especially like balancing that freedom that you feel with trying to remain productive? Yeah, so there's all this social distancing going on and and I've actually did a Twitter poll and it sounds like, you know, most people have more control over their time than they did before this happened. That's not true for everybody. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they're having difficulty focusing and difficulty being productive. I've been on my own for 13 years or so. And then, you know, for part of that, I was in San Francisco. For part of that, I was in Chicago. And then when I moved to Colombia, it was really went to the extreme because I really distanced myself from a lot of things. And in some ways, it was a lifestyle design decision. You know, there's a concept in design called a forcing function or a behavior shaping constraint. And so in some ways, putting myself in South America made it less likely that I would go on, you know, a, a trip across the country just to visit a friend or to go to a conference. Or if I was invited to speak at a conference, I would likely turn it down. And instead, I would stay home and, and write and podcast. So it is a a process that I've been trying to perfect over the last several years, for the last four years here in Colombia, especially. It's what I'm talking about in my upcoming book, Mind Management, Not Time Management. And I think that that, uh, just even the title of that book is, is a good tip for people to think about, is that it is about not so much having the time to do something, but having the energy to do something. Obviously, with things that are going on, it can be draining to our energy, but so many of us live by our to-do lists in a way where we look at the to-do list and we say, oh, item number one, okay, I'm going to do that. And we act as if anything is possible at any time. What do elite athletes do? If an elite athlete's preparing for a game, they're going to warm up. They're not just going to roll out of bed and expect that they can do that thing, that they can perform at their peak they're going to warm up. And so when we live by our to-do lists, we're really doing ourselves a disservice. It's much better to look at your to-do list and think about, well, what do I have the energy to do right now? And then you can actually start to see patterns in that where maybe in your mornings you have more energy. And so you take the thing, you do the things then that, that are going to require more energy. Or maybe in your evenings or on your weekends, you're Maybe you're out of energy at a certain time, and that's a time when you can do the things that are a little more mindless, that are a little more, you know, folding laundry or something like that. And you can change when you do things based upon the energy that you have. Uh, that's the key thing, I think. And that's the big struggle that we, we have now that 
so many of us have more control of our time, we're suddenly realizing, oh, we need to figure out how to get more out of our minds. That's just so true. I had that exact experience over the last three weeks because I was running a uh, office hours at noon and I was going live on Facebook regularly every weekday. And what happened was I had to rearrange my whole day around this event to manage my energy. I'm an unapologetic introvert and being on, you know, for this live was taking away from the time that I, or the energy, I should say, that I needed for just personal things. So I rearranged my whole day and I told myself I might check an email or two in the morning, but really the top of the day before noon, before the office hour was going to be just stuff for me. And it could be like really simple, like taking out the trash or something, but it was like all me stuff. And then I would do work in the afternoon because when I tried to like do work in the mornings, I was feeling like it was just an imbalance. So I totally mm-hmm. get what you're saying. And I, I've actually been telling um, folks over at For the Love of Tidy to check in daily to ask yourself, is this a being day where I just want to check out and watch Netflix? Or is it a doing day where I want to start my Kanari or wash dishes and, you know, do stuff that's uncomfortable, like balance my checkbook that I just finished <laughs> doing earlier? Yeah, there's really simple questions you can ask yourself. And these are the mm-hmm. questions I was asking myself eventually as I got into the rhythm when I was writing my first book and starting to figure things out, you just ask yourself, well, what, what's the mood that I'm in right now? Mm-hmm. And then say, well, what needs to get done that I can do with this mood? And then eventually you can get to the point where you can ask yourself, well, this thing that needs to get done, what mood do I need to be in to get that thing done? And then you might have this grab bag of routines or rituals that you have to, to get yourself into the right mood or the right mental state. I like what you were talking about that you had to redesign your whole day because you needed a certain kind of energy to do this live. I'm the same way as a podcaster. I need to really get into the right mode or or mood or mental state to be able to do a podcast interview. And so there's certain times, uh, certain days of the week when I will and won't (laughs) schedule such an interview. And when I do, I've got a whole warm-up process that if I follow that process, I know that I'll get into the right state to be able to do that thing. I really like the term that you used, behavior shaping constraint. I have (laughs) never heard that term before, but I am going to be thinking about that for a while now. I really like that. You released an episode pre-pandemic of your Love to Work podcast called The Art of Staying In. And of course, that's super relevant right now, maybe more than any other time in our history. And we're staying in more than usual these days. We'd love to hear about how you are applying the art of staying in to your life in quarantine. (laughs) Well, the art of uh, staying in is actually, it's an art I wish I would have perfected in my 20s because it seemed like there were so many times where I maybe was staying in on a Friday or Saturday night and, you know, I kind of wished that there was a party going on. I wished I had a date. I wish I had something to do. And it was just sort of this compulsion of feeling like, oh, it's Friday night or it's Saturday night. I need to be doing something. You know, as I get older, it it can be any night of the week that I might feel that way or I might feel that way on, on a weekend. And that's actually been one of the nice things about quarantine is it takes away that FOMO a little bit, takes a little bit of pressure off that, uh, 
you know, you should be out socializing. You should be doing something to enjoy this nice day. But instead, you can just stay in. So the art of staying in, something I still try to remind myself to do is to just stay in. And like, that's the plan. You know, I'm going to stay in. I'm going to work on something. I'm going to read a book about something that I want to learn. I'm going to practice something that I want to learn. I'm going to work on a creative project that I want to work on. And that's my plan. That's my plan so much that if somebody does call me and ask me, hey, do you want to go do this thing? You say, sorry, I've got plans. I think so many times we feel bad or feel guilty about having planned empty space. You know, it's funny because, I mean, in our society, we have what we, we call unused time. We call it free time, right? And then we don't call like our unused money free money, <laughs> uh, you know? <laughs> and, and we have that strange attitude about time, but at the same at the same time, people are almost like offended if somebody has extra time that they use for some other purpose that's not considered productive. Like if somebody has a time-consuming hobby, we'll say, oh, they have too much time on their hands. And, uh, you know, it's good to have time that you've planned to either do something that is just for you, that isn't time that anybody can just come and take just by giving you an invitation of some sort. I mean, it, it's really rampant in workplaces where there are a lot of companies, they make it so that all their employees can see each other's calendars, right? And so then they can see the empty time on one another's calendars, and then they can just take it. They can just take the time, <laughs> schedule you in a meeting. It's free time, remember? Wait, time is money when it's your boss's time, but the rest of the time, it's free time. <laughs> so I think that we need to feel okay about saying like, this is my time. And even though I don't have an activity planned necessarily, somebody else can't take it. I've chosen this time for myself. And I think that kind of goes back to maybe a Puritan work ethic that said basically that yeah, definitely. any moment of your day not filled with something useful, you know, somehow you were doing something sinful. Now, I know that when I first came to New York as a single person years and years ago, I was told by my new friends here in New York that I should say yes to every single social invitation. Oh, wow. And for years, I felt like if I don't go to this thing this night, and there are tons of things all the time, that somehow I would miss the one moment that would change my life. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. I know the feeling. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with age. And I think a lot of it has to do with getting settled down. I mean, I think it's great. I mean, I think if you're at a point in your life with going out and having going to events and occasions and doing all kinds of things all the time is what feels good to you, is what sparks joy for you, then more power to you. But I think we've really come to a place where we also appreciate not going out. And I think that that's really a good change. It's just one of these things I wish that I would have been better at when I was younger is that, uh, you know, maybe it wouldn't have sparked joy for me to stay in necessarily, but I, I would have liked to have been able to cultivate the skill of finding joy in, you know, staying in, in, in the joy of missing out as uh, right. Jason Fried calls it. Yeah. I remember when, when this uh, pandemic first hit, when we all had to stay at home, there was like a, a brief moment. It was like a, barely a day, but it was almost a full day where FOMO did not exist for anyone. Like Everybody was going inside pretty much. 
and the whole like virtual culture, hangout culture, work culture, that adjustment was happening. I remember everything was getting canceled like the same day for me. So it just felt like my whole calendar was just like getting white clear in like mm-hmm. four hours. <laughs> and uh, I really took a moment and it was definitely sad, but it was also kind of refreshing for a moment. Just like you mentioned earlier about hitting the reset button. That's really what it it felt like. And I thought about a world without FOMO for a second <laughs> and what that would be like. And now I think uh, it's come back because now that everything's virtual, I think this idea that you were just speaking of where if you're not doing something, it's almost like expected that you should be able to be available. I think that's becoming more and more of a, a thought uh, because everyone's virtual. So it's like, oh, well, we know you're at home, so why can't you show up to this? Or It's even easier to take your time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'd hate to see that being kind of a, a cultivated idea that we still can't just be, you know, even if we are available, just choose to take some time for ourselves and not feel guilty about it if we can't make all the, you know, birthday parties and virtual things and whatnot. Yeah. And I think kind of like what Karen was saying that there's the the sort of Protestant work ethic thing about that it's there's something bad about having empty time. I guess one of the the main time management maxims is, oh, there's only 24 hours in a day. And so people take that to mean that, oh, well, if there's only 24 hours, then I should really get as much out of those 24 hours as I possibly can. Well, what that really means is if there's only 24 hours, you can only do so much. Eventually, you're squeezing blood from a stone. And another thing is that when we have extra money, for example, right, we, we save a nest egg and it, it accrues interest over time. And so we view time as this linear thing that, oh, once the time is gone, if you haven't used it for something useful, well, then that's it. It's gone forever. But you can actually think of time in the same way that you think of money in that time spent doing nothing or time that is empty or time that is, you know, I guess quality time, maybe with your family or time that isn't considered to be quote unquote productive actually does pay dividends in the future. How many times have you, you've had a great idea and it's just happens to happen, you know, in the week after you took a a vacation or it just happens to happen a couple days after you got a massage or it just happens to happen the day after you went for a really nice hike. Sometimes when it comes to our ideas and being creative, the actions that lead to us having those great ideas, the actions that lead to us being creative are not directly connected to what we're doing in that very moment. Having that space empty and decompressing a little bit, allowing your mind to reflect on everything that you have going on can bring you a lot more clarity of thought. It can bring you better ideas. I mean, empty time pays dividends. I I say like, when you save time, keep it. So true. I couldn't agree with that more. And I was uh, looking at this meme the other day and speaking of that 24 hours, I think it was Trevor Noah. I'll try to find it, link it in our show notes. But he had his uh, laptop on his lap and he was sitting on one side of the couch and it said like working from home. And he closed his laptop, scooted to the other side of the couch, opened it up and it was like house party. So right now, the lines are very blurred when it comes to our work-life balance. And you 
may have seen that Marie Kondo recently released a new book called Joy at Work. And we recently reviewed her book on episode 128 of Spark Joy. What we really appreciated about this book is that it wasn't limited to just the scope of tidying a desk or clutter in the office. It really expands to shine a light on the non-physical clutter and all these larger lessons that you can get from just confronting things that you're surrounded by and uh, really confronting yourself at the same time and also your career. And so as people spend more and more time at home, perhaps closer to clutter and also closer to their work than usual, because those boundaries, like I said, are just so blurry right now. Do you have advice for someone taking this opportunity to potentially explore why they don't love their work and what they could do about that moving forward? Yeah. So I have this podcast, Love Your Work. It is something, it's sort of been my mantra for the last 13 years since I woke up 13 years ago, day one, no plan, no job. I had an entire day to fill. I know it sounds like... uh, like a great problem to have, but it's it can be quite frightening uh, because so many of us think that, oh, if only I had the time and the space, I would write that novel. I would start that business. I would do so many wonderful things. And I think that a lot of people are discovering as they maybe have more time and they have control over that time that uh, sometimes that stuff isn't so easy. And so for myself... I really just wanted to rediscover curiosity. I think so many of us, especially myself, after I had been working at startups for a few years, I had kind of forgotten what joy felt like in work. I'd forgotten what it felt like to want to do something. You know, I always was doing the things that I felt like I should do. And so I just wanted to reconnect with that feeling of what it felt like to want to do something. and. It's a constant battle for me to reconnect with that feeling. I was actually just trying to figure that out a couple of days ago. It was like I realized, oh gosh, I'm just always like even when I think that I'm going to do something for fun, <laughs> like I was going to read a book, well I've got to read Hamlet. And then <laughs> so now my girlfriend and I we've got to watch we have to watch the Hamlet movie which is 4 hours long and then also read the book. And so that I can, way I can figure out what the heck is going on with the way what Shakespeare has to say because it's so hard to read. <laughs> and like, that's what I'm doing for fun with my weekend. What? <laughs> I mean, it's nice. It's enriching. But like, is that really what I wanted to do? Or did I decide to do it because it was going to help fulfill some sort of self-image that I wanted to have of being like a smart person? And so just reconnecting with that feeling of, what do I enjoy doing? It doesn't have to be, you don't have to wipe the slate clean and and quit your job and uh, and try to fill up all of your time with things that you love to do because it's a long journey, I can tell you. And also one thing you'll probably discover that I've discovered is is that, you know, it doesn't always feel great. Like becoming good at something, good enough at something to make money at it doesn't always feel great. You know, I don't always want to write. I don't always enjoy every moment when I am writing, but I love the feeling when I have written. And I think it's it's finding that. It's like, what do you want to be able to look back on and that's going to spark joy? Not necessarily joy in every single moment. What discomfort 
are you willing to endure to have some future sparking of joy? That's the way that it feels when I have a book done is, yeah, a lot of it was enjoyable writing it, but a lot of it was difficult. It was not necessarily the thing I wanted to do in that moment, but uh, it all added up into some larger thing. So you you hear people say, oh, you got to find your passion. Well, that can be really dangerous. And studies have shown that this can be dangerous, is that if you think that you're going to find your passion, you might think that it's always going to feel great doing whatever it is. But I guess like finding something that the end result is going to make you feel good, not so much always every moment of the process. Yeah, I think that a a lot of people are discovering that having absolutely no structure at all is not ideal either as far as getting anything done. Or some people are really realizing given an infinite amount of free time, what they would actually do with it, and maybe they're a little chagrined. No, it's definitely, definitely something to think about. You know, our podcasts are similar. We have guests on some, and then we have co-hosted episodes. And of course, we invite our guests in to talk about what they've achieved in life, what their successes are, what their challenges have been, and, and how they've grown from those things. I'd like for you to think back to the guests that you've had in over 200 episodes and share with us if there was a particular voice or a tip that was super relevant to what's happening in our world today. Uh, You know, I think of somebody who maybe is a little bit like Marie Kondo in a way is David Allen, who wrote Getting Things Done, which is a great productivity process or system to follow that I still use and that everything that I do is kind of built upon is that he really created a great system for managing the things in your life, sort of the, some of the mental things and the, the contexts of those things. And one thing that he told me that was very useful was that it was about creating the space to be creative or to do the things that you enjoy is that when you manage your your things that you need to do or your responsibilities in life or the things around you, as I've learned from Marie Kondo, when you have a place for things, then all of the natural creative state that you experience as a human, that has space to flourish. And so, you know, sometimes keeping up the rituals of keeping things organized, whether that is my physical things or my mental things. Sometimes I don't necessarily feel excited about doing those rituals or those habits, quite honestly. But that's the thing that, I guess that's the the joy that I look forward to is that, oh, when this is out of the way, then my mind is going to have space to enjoy and be present in the moment. The question, does it spark joy, is a simple one, but not so easy to execute alone. Extend your tidying experience by joining the Spark Joy Club, our online community filled with our clients, fellow listeners, and Kamari enthusiasts ready to support your journey. If you find yourself buried under clothing, stuck on storage, or pointing fingers at untidy housemates or family members, we want to help you finish your tidying journey once and for all. 
Support the show at the Joy Riser level and receive access to our exclusive virtual community, as well as the Tidy Home Joy Journal, your number one tidying companion. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click on join the club to get started. And now back to the show. Well, speaking of to-do lists, we have a question that we like to pose all of our guests and and that's what's your favorite tidying tip or in your case you could share a productivity tip or, or both whatever you'd like oh tidying tip honestly my favorite thing from the life-changing magic of tidying up is just the shirt folding mm-hmm. method you know i don't know how to describe it on a podcast i think your listeners probably know it i enjoy that a lot I guess the other tidying tip, maybe the productivity tidying tip, is just to have a weekly review. It is such a weight off of my mind throughout the week to know that whatever I have coming up on Sunday afternoon, this is from David Allen, that Sunday afternoon, I'm going to look over my calendar. I'm going to look over everything that's coming up this next week. I'm going to look over everything that's coming up in the next few weeks, make sure I'm on top of everything, make sure that, uh, Actually, I set alarms on my phone. Maybe that's the tip is I set alarms on my phone for any upcoming meetings that I have for that week. You basically have to, on an iPhone, have to say, uh, repeat every Wednesday and then set the alarm for an hour or so before because I keep my phone on silent all day. And otherwise, I will miss my meetings because I don't look at my calendar all week because I have the weekly review and I know that I have things set up that I can just be in the moment and be creative and concentrate on what's important to me. And that if anything needs to get done, I have things in place because I have the systems, because I follow the, the processes, I follow the rituals. Oh, that's such a great tip. I really like that. I like that you um, really focus on being in the moment and you've set up your technology to work in that direction. That's great. And of course, we have to ask, what is sparking the most joy for you at this very moment? My hammock. <laughs> I've just finally got a, a place with a balcony and I have a hammock outside. And uh, the lockdown is pretty strict here in Colombia. We're not really allowed to leave the house <laughs> except for you know very limited times. And so having the hammock, being able to lay back and, and read a book after a day of work or even to lay back with a a notebook and and brainstorm stuff while laying back in a hammock is fantastic. And I think this is one of the things that people are discovering working at home is that sometimes you can choose the best possible environment with which to do a certain thing. You don't have to be sitting at your desk or sitting at your computer to do every little thing. Sometimes you can be sitting in your hammock. Love it. And David, how can our listeners find you and stay in touch with you? Well, I've got a podcast. If you were listening to this podcast, you probably listen to podcasts. And my podcast is called Love Your Work. And that can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And then uh, I have an email newsletter called Love Mondays. It is something to spark joy for you every Monday, get you inspired. And then I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram at at Cadavy. That's K-A-D-A-V as in Victor Y. Perfect. We will make sure to link that in the show notes. And we also want to give you a chance to 
let our listeners know about that special offer that you have for them as well. Yeah, I think when you're working remote, it becomes very important to be able to write, be able to write clearly. And in order to write clearly, you need to be able to focus. And I have a toolbox of the 14 tools that I used. I actually tracked my word count during the first year of my experiment down here in Colombia. And I quadrupled my, my word output. I wrote four times as many words as I did the previous year. My work started showing up in publications and such. So it was better quality writing as well. So I have those tools. It's a toolkit for free, cadavy.net slash tools. Or actually, even easier, I have a short URL, kdv.co slash tools. Uh, that will take you right there. Perfect. Thanks so much, David, for joining us here on Spark Joy and sharing all of your productivity hacks. Thank you so much. It was an honor. Thank you, David. Stay well. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and review the show, which helps us reach others along their tidying journeys. To extend your tidying experience, you can join the Spark Joy Club. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click join the club to become a member of the Spark Joy community or join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your hosts, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with Kamari Media Inc. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Kamari Media Inc. or the Kamari Consultant Community.